Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about the DC Comics that are released on the 11th of December, 2019. Uh, we're going to start off talking about, uh, I guess, are we going to do the uh, the Frank Miller joint to start off? Yeah, why not? We might as well. All right. Uh, the Dark Knight Returns, The Golden Child, written by Frank Miller, illustrated by Raphael Grandpa. Um, you know, I, it's, it's called The Golden Child, but this issue is really more like coming to America. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like for folks of a certain age, you just can't not hear Eddie Murphy when you think of The Golden Child. And I would say this. This comic will be way more interesting if Eddie Murphy was a part of it. <laughs> um, Yikes! Who, who wants to start on this? Zach, go for it. Um, I kind of liked this. Whoa! <laughs> oh, man! Unpack that. Dude, I feel I feel like John I feel like John Mulaney. Do we? Well, we don't have time to unpack that. I mean, of course, one part of it is the art is is beautiful and fantastic. Yes, the uh, art is a uh, uh, gaba ghoul. All it's, the way it's it's I think it's like proof that any bad comic can be made good by good art. Agreed. Um, <laughs> Made good. I don't know. <laughs> no, I guess well, not that I would say that it's. I would no. not say that this is good. I, what you're saying is that art is the more important feature. One hundred percent. To a to an enjoyable comic than script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is like a nonsensical mess, but like, you think thinking about it relative to like Superman Year One, I think that this is considerably better maybe maybe i was just much more generous with this because of how good the art was but i like for instance the endlessly repetitive dialogue didn't bother me as much as it did in superman year one um i think can i stop you right there (laughs) yeah is that a thing is that a thing that like I don't remember that from Year I, One or from I Dark Knight. Don't either. I <laughs> don't either. That's the thing he just started to. Oh man, what is this thing where he like he says something and then he says, "Of course it does." What's this? You know what I mean? Like, you know, how many times did he say he make a statement and then, "Of course it does," fellows? You know I, what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do. I don't know what this comic is. I don't know what it's supposed to be saying or what it's doing. It has no message at all, even though it acts like it does. But there's just something about it. I can't. I just can't put a pin on it. I think it really is just the art and maybe just like how cool like i like there's something very cool to me that like somehow and maybe it's not cool maybe the more that i think about it i just don't even want to think about it this is a book that i just cannot think about because if i think about it my brain will break but it's very cool that you have a, a 
female Superman and a female female Superman. I've had one beer tonight already. Um, <laughs> you have Superman's daughter. You have Lady you have Superman. You have Carrie Kelly <laughs> as like the main Superman and Batman. You've got this weird messianic baby John Kent, and you've got Darkseid with an inexplicable haircut. Oh yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> It's I've, like I've, Ramona Flowers from Yes, Scott I, I have that written down. Yes. <laughs> I believe that's an emotional haircut. Yes. Emotional um, haircut. Um and then you have Dark Side who just looks like this is one of the best Dark Sides that I think we've gotten. Not like character wise, but like visually. He's so good. Um There uh, I just I cannot I I legitimately enjoyed reading this comic for reasons I can't fully describe. Hmm. It was a tour de force. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we go any further, I think we just have to admit uh, the costumes look great. 10 out of 10. They do. 11. These are the, if I, I think that we should go ahead and add an addendum for best costumes of 2019 in the multiversity year in review, <laughs> just so that I can vote for this book. Um, I think it yeah. must be done. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> Brian, do you want to go or do you want me to? Well, I honestly don't have that much to say. So I, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll say it now just to move this along. Sure. Um, so, I think it's crazy that see, to me this is Frank Miller. Uh, this is Frank Miller's rodeo clown that is supposed <laughs> to like get our attention away from what Frank Miller really believes. Because Frank Miller, by all intents, by all accounts, is a. T- and yet he puts Ooh, this. Uh, look, I'm just telling you what people who I know that know him have told me. Um, all right. Uh, and, uh, you know, here he is doing this, like, vehemently anti-Trump comic, where the Trump is the freaking Joker, and it seems like, hey guys, I'm down, I don't like Trump, look at this comic over here, as he plans another book literally called The Master Race. So, uh, you know, it just seems to me like this is a a -a rope-a-dope situation, where he's trying to get us to forget about who he really is, uh, in doing this other book. That said, the costumes are dope. Grandpa's art is incredible. And there were a couple of ridiculously funny moments. But overall, I don't think that this achieves the goal of feeling like a part of the Dark Knight universe. Oh, um, not at all. <laughs> and, and so if it's if it's not going to be a piece of that universe, and and no one really tries to make it feel like that either, uh, then, then why does this book even exist? If you want to do like an interesting, different take on the Trinity, we'll do that. But don't don't bring the good name of the Dark Knight Returns into this. The good name, Brian? I said that very sarcastically. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, <laughs> uh, what I'll say about Frank Miller is that I think his politics are incoherent, you know? <laughs> well, clearly, yes. I, I don't think... Just Much from, like this comic. <laughs> yes, exactly. From what I know about him, which is admittedly not much and certainly not more than I've read in interviews and pieces about him, um, 
his politics are all over the place. Obviously, he's got a weird history of doing um, uh, problematic depictions of um, people of certain foreign uh, uh, persuasions, right? Um, So that's one thing. Uh, But on the other hand, like, I've also read stuff where he's more, I don't know, I guess if, if you if, if you asked me, and taking this issue into account, he strikes me as like a libertarian type, but, but even then that doesn't really fit because um, there's different oddities to his personality and his work. Uh, of course, you can't, by his work alone, you can't define what he is politically either, because certainly somebody who's conservative could write a you know left-leaning set of set of characters if they wanted to you know it can happen um so i'm not going to declare anything about his politics other than that they're incoherent to me and they remain that way based on this book my impression of this based purely on my bafflement while reading it is that it's it is explicitly anti-Trump by making hit, hit uh, dark side and the Joker. This part isn't even, this isn't even all that clear. I, we're led to believe that the Joker and dark side are kind of working as almost campaign managers for him. Yes. But on like a secret level, like you see, you see the Joker boys, like the, the Joker gang, out in the streets, kind of like the incels or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say, whatever comparison you want to make. And then you also see them in like internet troll farms, spamming the internet with Trump propaganda. Right. So, you know, on that note, it's almost like they're, uh, it's almost like they're a stand in for like what liberals would say would be like the Russian troll farms, you know, but at the same time, they never mention Trump by name, which they don't—they don't have to. But they don't have to for you to know that that's who it is, because the depiction. This isn't just like a parody of somebody who's like similar to Trump. This is Trump. The image is Trump all the way. The way he talks, the 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 look is perfect and cartoonish. Um, but it's weird that they never use his name, right? At the same time. I feel like Frank Miller is also trying to depict the like anti-fascist side of things, the protester side of things. And I, again, just by the way it's so strangely depicted, it's almost like Miller wanted to be more negative about them as well. But like either he pulled his punch or editorial pulled the punch and it really feels like that happened on both sides here. So you end up with this weird mealy mouth thing that's very much set in our current moment that happens to say nothing about it, basically. <laughs> in, my, in my reading. Right, and, right. and I'll say that this is proof that, you know, one thing that people like to argue uh, in, in bad faith online is that Oh, you ju- you just like a comic if it signals leftist or or social justice or uh, cultural Marxist like uh, uh, 
thought to you. You know, if it if it signals that way, you're gonna like it. And if it's if it dares to do something different, or if it's if it tries to play both sides or, or the right side, or 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 you know, dare I say, be non-political, then you're then you don't like it as much. You know, this is a clear case where like <laughs> we are supposed to identify with Trump as the enemy, and I don't like this comic hardly at all. Mm. You know, so it's that's proof enough for me that like my head is straight for the most part when I'm like trying to critically judge this stuff. Um, I will say the art is excellent. You guys have already said it, but I want to highlight one segment that is like probably my favorite couple pages of art in any comic all year. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting some. I'm sure I'm forgetting some of like Liam Sharp's great stuff in Green Lantern, whatever, whatever. The page where they enter the Gotham Arcade. Yes. Uh-huh. And yes. Every, yep. uh-huh. every panel is like a little piece of pop art. And it's the most, it's referencing the Frank Miller style the most out of any. Mm-hmm. Um, but just amazing every every individual panel is doing its own thing you could pluck that panel out frame it and put it on your wall and it would look amazing and modern and and pop and just fantastic great page and then the page directly after where batwoman where it says like i am the batwoman or whatever yeah yeah and then like and like flash underneath or something like yeah, like her kick Under or whatever. Joker's foot, like, yeah. Yeah. Just incredible couple of pages there. My jaw dropped. Um, I didn't have a... Like, Zach, you enjoy, I feel like you enjoyed this book for being bonkers and strange, but also having good art. Mm-hmm. And I, I just could not enjoy the read. The, the, the dialogue, the narration was just way too much. The plot is nigh incomprehensible oh it makes no sense at it, all in one um, issue dark side is completely obliterated and then like immediately comes back to life and then is obliterated again kind and, of yes yeah yeah which i i i think that's i'm not really going to expound upon this but i think that's trying to make a point about about the nature of like evil or the nature of like a radical dictate you know what i mean like um for example if you strike me down i'll come back more powerful than you could possibly imagine kind of yeah but what i was gonna say and it may be a bad analogy people might roll their eyes but like this idea that everybody thought uh white nationalism was dead or whatever and all of a sudden in a post you know 2015 or whatever i mean it's been around the whole time but in a post 2015 all of a sudden it's in the news and it's on tv and or, or even that, like, conservatism was, like, going the way, uh, you know, like, with, with the the way the Bush administration went and the kind of... The predictions that were made before. Yeah, like, the yeah. repudiation of, like, the Obama election, essentially, and, and, and yeah, and then how it came back. <laughs> yeah. Big, yeah, you know. For sure, and um, maybe, yeah. maybe it is making that point, but, like, honestly, can you say that for sure? No, <laughs> like, goodness, oh no. no. I, I, there, I think you're giving it like, a lot of credit. I do, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much that's muddied here. Um, it really, I mean, the, oh, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I can barely, I honestly, like, 
I cannot. I read this book yesterday. I could not recount the plot to you other than like <laughs> Joker, Dark Side, Trump, Batwoman fights Joker, Supergirl, John fights Dark Side. Uh, you got, you got it. That's it. That's it. That's all I can give you, and it's a fifty-page comic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's something to be said that like. We don't get we don't get like Raphael Grandpa art on any other book with any other writer. And why is that? Like why can't even if even if DC just launches a book and says like, okay, an artist as big as Grandpa is gonna do the first arc only and you'll never see him again, you know? Why can't you know, why do I have to read <laughs> a Frank Miller book in twenty nineteen if I want to see Raphael Grandpa art? In a DC or Marvel con, you know, like I understand, like he does his own work, and um, I can't remember the name of his great comic from like four or five years ago. Holy Terror. No, 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 no. Grandpa. <laughs> I know, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, anyway. Yeah, his his. Oh, it's like something delivery. Mesmo, Mesmo delivery. Mesmo delivery. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like obviously, you can read their creator own work, but I'm saying like. If they're going to get him for a book, why does it have... And I understand it's because it's Frank Miller and it is going to sell based on his name. But goddamn, put artists like this on like a small arc in a in a, a regular book with the, with a writer who's not past his prime, you know? Or past you want to you know the only other writer at DC that he's collaborated with? Oh, I don't know. Who is it? It, it goes part and parcel with Frank Miller. Brian Azzarello? Yeah. On ah, yeah. what? What was that? Hellblazer 250. He did a, a short with Azzarello. Oh, I would have read that, too. Damned if I could remember it. Um, all, all, all I got, all I goat for Christmas was the name of the story. <laughs> I'll take it a step further, Vince. I feel like Grandpa's art is the perfect person to say, like, hey, listen, we're doing a crisis next summer. Oh. You know, Here's a dump truck full of money. You're gonna draw our crisis. Yeah. Oh God, dang. Well, yeah. Why not? And I, I don't know if it's because the art style, you know, in a mainstream comic is divisive. That could be the reason. But I think it's gorgeous shit. You know. I think in 2019, that's a that's a less valid argument. I think. I, that, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're making it. I'm just I'm saying that in general, I think that comics readers have gotten more sophisticated in what they consider to be quote good uh comics um art sure you know um yeah anyway this is a fucking train wreck and uh, i'm glad that we're done talking about it <laughs> uh all right so so let's jump over to detective comics number 1017 this is a merciful fill-in issue by uh, by our, our pal Tom Taylor and illustrated by Fernando Blanco. And uh, this is a really good Batman story. Uh, once again, Tom Taylor is the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this might be the best like solo Batman story we've gotten in the Rebirth era. 
Yeah, it's hard to think of another one that was. Yeah, yeah, it, this is good. This is really good. You know um, why this is good? Why? Why is it good? Because Batman doesn't save the day. Mm. Bruce Wayne does. Mm, indeed. I also want to say that there is there's an argument to be made that the collateral damage from Batman killed somebody. So eat it, Vince. Uh, it, uh, ah. uh, technically, he didn't kill them, though. Yeah. Well, his, well, this his, isn't his neg- as cut and dry his, cases yeah. when he killed the woman with a battering. Uh, but, he, yes. didn't, he didn't do that either, but okay. Uh, his, um, his negligence at... Uh, at, at keeping tabs on the on the uh, orphanage, indirectly led to at least one death. Just saying. Uh, I liked when he said his favorite superhero was Superman. Yes, that was nice. There were a number of moments in this issue that were just spot on, pitch perfect Batman moments, and that was one of them. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna start dubbing those Tom Taylor moments mm-hmm. because they're like they're like the little moments that. I feel like he includes them in every issue of every comic he writes. Whereas, uh, you know, other writers do stuff like that, but not as frequently. So so for now, they're Tom Taylor moments. I have to say, if if our voting wasn't already done for the Multiversity Year interview, this might have gotten one of my lower tier votes for best single issue. Hmm. I really love this issue. The Yeah. Yeah. It was really good, and Blanco's great. It's it's really good. Blanco has really come a long way. I think the first time I remember coming across him was on I Vampire towards the end. Yeah, he replaced um, uh, Sorrentino. Sorrentino, yeah, and and he was good then, but he he's really like grown into one of you know DC's you know better artists. I, I would almost say like one of their top tier and most reliable artist, so he's good. Yeah, I would agree. And it's it's interesting because they tend to use him as sort of a fill in you know, he fills in here and there. He's been filling in on um Catwoman. Catwoman. And now this is like a one off issue. But I, I think he's got better stuff than just to be a fill in, but I think I think it's okay to get artists that are really good to do your fill-in work. Like, why not have a few of those guys around that that do stuff like that, you know? Well, I, yeah, I, think I, he, I suspect maybe he works pretty quickly. That's what maybe. I was going to say, Zach. Yeah. I, I think that he's just, he's a quick work, he's a quick study, and so they can get him quickly to fill in on something. Yeah. And it, it's sort of like, to, to bring this into a, a baseball analogy, it's like, you know, when you have a great relief pitcher... You don't want to necessarily fuck with that and making him a starter. Like it's valuable to have a guy like Blanco, who, when you have six weeks to get something turned out, he can do it. Do you want to jeopardize that valuable position in your company to have him on a monthly book? As mm-hmm. a fan, I want him on a monthly book, but as somebody running an organization, I can understand why he makes more sense in this role. Yeah, well, it's football season, Brian. So analogy in the toilet. 
Okay, well, imagine if punters could do something else. <laughs> uh, no, that's a really apt analogy. Um, another analogy is that uh, Pizzagate happens right under Bruce's nose. <laughs> yes, it does. You. Yeah. Um, Um, in fact, I mean, some some might say he 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 maybe knew about it already, and he's just using Batman to distance himself from the uh, the aftermath. <laughs> he's got to watch his hyoid bone bone. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, who is it? Robin or some or someone else who accuses him of having his own little private stock of Robins in that orphanage? Yeah, Damien says that. Damien says that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he's not far off, but uh, collar tug. <laughs> he says it's a bit disconcerting that you have a whole built. They have. Hang on, let me try that again. It's a bit disconcerting that you own whole buildings full of potential backup robins. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's grim. Yeah, uh, I thought this issue was fantastic. I think that Tom Taylor just he just gets how to do. DC heroes right now and he needs to be doing something in 5G or some things in 5G well once we revolt and take over DC comics we're claiming 5G as our own right now I mean I, I think Taylor's the kind of guy who would be very valuable on Batman Mm hmm. Ooh. Ooh, do we? Ah, nah, never mind. Or tech. I was going to say, do we want to talk about the rumor for Batman? But maybe not. We can. Tell us Tell us who Uncle Rich says is possibly writing Batman in the 5G world. Uncle Rich says that the, that, that the new Luke Fox, apparently, Batman, is going to be written by John Ridley, the fourth um, screenwriter. Uh, 12 Years a Slave, I believe. Yes. Um, was supposed to do that untold history of the DC Universe thing, but apparently it got canceled due to some conflict with somebody else's pitch or something. And so it never, it, it's never going to come out. Um, I think they're still denying that officially. Yeah, it, well, this is all, everything I say is, is, is dirty rich, uh, Words out of his mouth, not mine or anyone else's. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think Ridley's a talented guy. You always wonder how the transition to comics is going to go. Has he ever written any comics? That that I'm not sure of. Um, um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and not that I'm aware of, but. Uh, you know, if he were to be the new Batman writer, I'd certainly be interested in in that perspective. And I am in, I am interested in a five G Batman, in a new Batman. I really am. Um, so, yeah. Um, my my one reservation with having somebody come from film into comics is that it's it. With very few exceptions, or really from any, from any other sort of writing discipline into comics, is it's usually not the smoothest of transitions. 
Like I, I think even someone like uh, oh, John- he's done. Okay, sorry to interrupt. He's done some Wildstorm. He did okay. an authority. He did an authority story and uh, the that 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 book called The American Way, which I I remember. Oh, yeah. I don't think I I don't think I read that, but I remember it. So so it won't be it won't be a totally new transition. Anyway, right. sorry to sorry to interrupt. No, I just but, wanted to make sure. No, that's totally fair. What I was going to say is that I feel like a lot of times the first six issues or so of a new comic writer's run is is a little rough. And it's it's tough to make that transition happen in something like 5G. You know what I mean? Like it would be much better to to put him on a book that wasn't going to be as in the spotlight as this book will be. Mm. Uh, that's my one concern about it, but but that's you know I could be proven wrong in one page of a comic, so yeah, I'm I'm happy to be wrong about this. I think it's cool that DC is trying to bring in some new talent. I don't necessarily love the idea of chasing stars through their comics, but that's a whole other story. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, tech? Mm-mm. All right, well, let's jump on over then to our next book, which is Harley Quinn, Villain of the Year. Uh, this, I, I have a lot to say about this book. I'm excited to talk about it. This was written by Mark Russell, and there are a couple of moments in the book that if you didn't know it was Mark Russell before reading it, you <laughs> would see or read certain things and be like, oh, of course, only Mark Russell could have written this comic. Yeah, well, why don't why don't you why don't you lead off, King? Well, I was going to say it's also illustrated by the great Mike Norton. Uh, this is this is such a fun comic. First of all, Mark Russell might be the only person working today who can consistently make me laugh in a comic. Um, just there are so many great little jokes. Like uh, Harley is doing her monologue at the awards show. And she says, Mr. Freeze, take off your helmet and stay a while. And Freeze says, I need this to live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I legitimately laugh out, laugh out loud at that moment. Uh, and there were, there were a number of jokes like that that I really, really enjoyed. Um, you know, there are some fun references to Lex Luthor stealing cakes. Uh, the, yeah, the in memoriam was a great bit. Yeah. Uh, that was a good bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just like, <laughs> so Gentleman Ghost wins the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and uh-huh. uh, his speech consists of three lines. In my many years in villainy, if if my many years in villainy have proven anything, I hope it is this, that one can be both a ghost and a gentleman. Thank you so very much. <laughs> I mean, come on. How could you not love this? Yeah. Uh, and there there are a lot of moments um, that that are hilarious visual gags as well, like, Black Manta in a tuxedo is never not funny to me. <laughs> um, the way Bane is wearing like a like a torn off uh, tuxedo jacket, you know, Mike Norton does such a nice job of of enhancing what Russell is doing without trying to like uh, without trying to one up him for just in, in the in the goof zone. You know, uh, it's just it's so good. And last thing I'll say before I pass it over. Uh, Mike Norton's Batman Who Laughs is the best Batman Who Laughs. I agree. Zach, you want to chat about this one a bit? Um, I agree with everything that Brian said. Um, I guess I don't really have a lot more to say about this other than, like, 
kudos to Russell for making, you know, some great bits out of this these awful choices for all of these categories. <laughs> Just yeah. terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so props to him for making making something out of nothing here. Yeah. Um, best moral justification went to Flashpoint Batman, and I can't imagine a worse. I don't know. I don't remember what the other choices were for that, but uh, uh, the, it was the, Leviathan, yeah. Mirror Master, and Lex Luthor. Mirror Master, all <laughs> better, all better than Flashpoint Batman. So funny. Oh man. Um, yeah. <laughs> This book was a lot better than I than I even expected it to be with Russell being attached. Um, I'm sorry, I just want to say one more thing because I wrote this in my notes and I don't want to forget to say it. The Batman who laughs says to one of his goons, uh, excuse me, but I believe that was my mushroom appetizer. And says, <laughs> not appetizer, appetizer. Appetizer. <laughs> sorry. Oh, uh, uh, I like the Brainiac one bit. Uh, Brainiac one whose name... I'm pretty sure it's also his Wi-Fi login. Not true. I am sexy wizard. Sex Carl. Yeah. Okay, Flashpoint Batman. I, I, I'm really hung up on this because <laughs> his, his moral justification is he doesn't want his son to become Batman, who has never killed anyone, by the way. Ah, shut mm. up. Don't that nah, nah, never has. And yet he's going to do that by killing people. It doesn't just terrible, terrible uh, winner of that award. Um my boy, my beautiful little bat boy. <laughs> now, didn't didn't readers actually vote on these? They yeah. did, yes. So, yep, which is what Zach means when he yeah. says that the readers are all terrible, and so are our listeners. So, hey. uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. We love you. Um, we love most of you. Yeah, but the the fact that they voted for the Batman Who Laughs as villain of the year is like. On the one hand, it's totally obvious that that was going to happen. But on the other hand, it's like, really? <laughs> like, it's, I feel like this is just like, this is just like DC w- waving this in front of their face and saying, yeah, you love this shit, don't you? You love this Joker shit. Um, well, I do but- like how Harley like comments that, you know, the villain who won is a combination of DC's like two most popular characters. Yeah. So. yeah. Yep, yep, and their their third most popular character is the one making that joke. So yeah, exactly, yeah. There you go. Um, the villain of the year flamingo bit. So have we talked? Did you did either of you guys mention that? No. no. How he's he's trying to rig the award ceremony with dynamite because he's never recognized for being a villain, and uh, Harley figures this out and gives him villain of the year as kind of a trick. That that whole bit was a Harley's extremely trick. well done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you dirty dog! Man, why wasn't Joker's trick like eligible for the voting in this? That's what I want to know. They, oh man, he should have just turned like he should have uh, had the Batman who laughs say Joker's trick tweets as dialogue. 
That would have uh, been incredible. I'm the Joker, baby. Um, <laughs> there was one other thing I wanted to say about that. Well, it was just refreshing that one of these like year of the villain books just got to have fun its entire way through. And it didn't feel like it needed to really tie in with anything or have any sort of plot or arc beyond the flamingo thing, which was just a, a nice goof. Um, so yeah, it really just a refreshing read all the way around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Super fun. And uh, highly, highly recommended. It's quite actually, it's quite similar in tone to the the Harley Quinn cartoon that's on um, DC Universe. Oh, I haven't wait, watched that. Wait a second. Hang on a second. Hold the fucking phone. <laughs> you, you won't watch good TV shows that Zach and I recommend you to watch, but you watch the Harley Quinn cartoon. I've seen a couple episodes, and it's fine. They they overdo it on the cursing a little bit, little little too many fucks for me. Uh, but it's all right. It's got this like mundane, almost like, almost like this, where it's all the villains sitting at an award show, you know, like there, like the villains are going to work and drinking coffee and stuff and saying the f word, and it's fine. It's it's totally it's fine. I just thought I should mention that. We haven't talked about it on the show. I'm thinking about doing my own podcast called Vince Watches Harley Quinn. Publishing it separately from this show, but it still shows up in the feed for some reason. Did I lose you guys? No, we're just silently judging you. <laughs> I think we lost Zach. No, I'm oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yep. I do still thing? love you. Oh, thanks. Okay. Hey, hey, here's the thing. I've watched two episodes of Harley Quinn. Probably still less of a time commitment than the one episode of Watchmen I watched. So st- I still, I, I gave Watchmen more of my time. Fair? No? Okay. All right. Yeah, no. It, it's fair. <laughs> sure. <laughs> thanks, Zach. You're the good boy. I try. See? To quote our, our dearly departed John Lennon, whatever gets you through the night, it's all right. Um, I was talking about beating me wife. Gosh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's, it's John Lennon. That's what he did. I know. Terrible man. I Terrible know. man. I know. Uh, people still hate Yoko Ono more. <laughs> For reasons I'll never Ooh. understand. The whole story. All right, anyway, um, let let's get back to uh, to the comics and talk about Superman number eighteen, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. This is the truth, where Superman reveals his secret identity. Before we talk about this issue, I'm curious as to how long you guys think that this will remain the status quo in the DC universe. Probably forever. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think a really long time, maybe. Um, I think that this has the potential to last, uh, you know, as long as this publishing initiative, you know, until the next big 
reboot or whatever. Um, I, I think that I, there's a few reasons I think that this will stick. And I, I think it's really funny. I wanted to talk about this in light of the Tom King Batman promised shakeup or whatever. Um, like, I think that this will stick because, um, one, it's Bendis. And I think Bendis is going to be around for a long time. Two, it's extremely well-earned and extremely well done. Vince? Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think it will last. I think it's going to be part of the catalyst of whatever comes next. So I think by that virtue, it's going to last. You know what I mean? I sure, think like yeah. I think the choices he's making right now. I mean, if you pair that with the Tom King Batman things that we have heard about where that story's going and the whole Alfred thing paired with the Superman truth reveal. I feel like that's all barreling towards whatever this next thing is, whether it's 5g or what, you know, whatever that's going to be part of the catalyst for whatever causes that to happen. And by that virtue, like what they can easily do, which is what they do all the time is, they can make it part of that status quo going into the next relaunch, whatever you want to call it. And then if they want to coming out of that into whatever comes next after that, let's say five years down the road, whatever it is, they can essentially forget about it. They can have something happen. Forget about it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah, it's it is what it is stuff like that happens in comics all the time. They don't necessarily, you know, the next time they relaunch Superman after the 5G status quo or whatever, it could just be said that like oh, nobody he went back into hiding and somehow everybody's memories were, you know, whatever. It's fucking comics, right? They do whatever they want. I just think like it is going to be the foreseeable future. I I think DC is never going to be able to resist the temptation of going back to, uh, oh, your Clark Kent of the Daily Planet, and then this is Superman and they're separate things, you know? Yeah, although it does sound like we're still going to have Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. Yeah, he's still going to live. Yeah, yes, which is good because Bendis has been writing that stuff very well. Agreed. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you're going to have, you know, in five years, you're not going to have uh, human beings walking around, say, calling Superman Clark Kent, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I first of all, I do think this was very well handled. Um, just a, a very well written issue. And I think that the reasons that he states for wanting to drop the secret identity are very much in line with what we've seen Bendis doing since he came on to this book, essentially. Um, and so I do think that it has the potential to last a very long time, if only because, like Zach said, it's Bendis. And if it wasn't Bendis, I think it would be a very different conversation we'd be having. Um, but I will say, I don't think this has ever specifically happened before with Superman, but 
I mean, for a long time, Wally West's identity was known to the world, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Uh, you know, the, these things just happen in comics. And so I do think it'll last longer than maybe the cynic in me says it will, but I do think this is going to essentially be a blip on the Superman radar. I don't see this as being a 20 or 30 year decision. Do you guys? More more like five. I, I don't know, because maybe I'm just like playing up how big this feels to me because it, it feels really big like this feels like if dc wanted to this could be like a like seminal moment that they point to for decades to come you know this this is a big deal kind of and it's i think it's like really given that gravity um i think it just you know it's just whatever their priorities are you know i we haven't really talked about this but there was there's been all of that talk about how I think Warner Brothers or reports that Warner Brothers just really like doesn't know what to do with Superman in the in the film side, like they just can't figure it out, which is it, it, insane. Just at, blows my mind. Um, ha, they have trouble making him relevant. I think is the exact quote. Um, and like, I, so I don't know. Like maybe this is how they make him relevant i don't know maybe they make him relevant by having uh, michael b jordan play him which they should um <laughs> you, you just but, want michael b jordan to have played every superhero character <laughs> yes i do yes i do it's true i definitely do um but um i don't know like i i could if i could envision a a version of DC comics that is still play like referencing this moment, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. But also that's just me kind of like thinking about the DC comics of the past who would do those things. And I don't actually know if that DC comics exists anymore. So who, so, so who can say, who can say if it's bad or not? That's actually an interesting question is that is there a way that dc can point to this as an important story without still having the effects of the story felt like there are certain like you know every couple of weeks you get a death of superman reference right but right, superman right. isn't dead anymore but they're still referencing that so can this still be referenced if his secret identity is again secret <laughs> I mean, hey, you get into didn't like we, a, didn't we know who you were at one point? Yeah. I nope. mean, like, see you later. <laughs> Spider Man's been doing it for like the last fifteen years, so yeah. The one yeah. thing I will say, uh, I felt like there wasn't a great explanation for in the book, besides just she's Lois. Uh, is the idea of like. You know, part of the reason that he kept the secret identity was to protect those around him. And so, if everybody knows that Lois is his wife, isn't Lois just going to be killed? <laughs> like, isn't this basically signing her death warrant? Yeah, I think I, I, part of it. This is maybe giving the implicit storytelling too much credit, but Lois has been running up against Lex Luthor throughout. Um, Bendis's run for for one reason or another, right? Right. 
and I do I do wonder if and if you if you go as far back as like Lois ending up uh, in the in, in on Apocalypse, right? Wasn't that an arc from not too long before yes. uh, Bendis? Yeah, that was in the yeah. Tomasi stuff. Yeah. Part of me wonders if if it's if it's Bendis realizing and hoping that everybody makes the connection that like. Lois is always in grave danger. You know, Superman's family and friends are always in danger, whether they know he's Clark or not. Or, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you actually think Bendis read those comics? <laughs> I, I know for a fact he did. Bendis is like a computer. You, you give him a comic, he ingests it. He immediately absorbs all of it. And he knows exactly what happened. You could ask him, what issue did... Uh, you know, did uh, Perry White get cucked by Lex Luthor? And <laughs> he and Walt. I was going to say, he and, he and Walt tell both tell you, yeah. <laughs> the 90s, folks. The 90s. Um, so now that we've talked sort of about the overarching, you know, comic here, is there anything in particular you guys wanted to focus on? Uh, best moment of the issue? Sure, go for it. The silent pages of Clark revealing himself to Perry White. Yes. Behind closed doors and just what a heartwarming oh God. I'm I'm a thirty two year old man and I'm reading that and I'm going, Oh <laughs> it's the magic of storytelling. Yeah. What a wonderful moment. Just a big hug, you know. I think there were other moments. Okay. There were other moments in this comic that were quote unquote silent where like hardly any dialogue and some of it almost seemed like a mistake. And I said that about the end of like the first issue of Legion of Superheroes as well. <laughs> like that last panel just like felt like there was supposed to be words there and it felt like there were some pages where there were supposed to be words because the because the art didn't do all of the storytelling. Uh-huh. Do you, do you have an example? Like uh well i'll let you guys talk and i'll look in the box and then i'll come back with an example of what i'm talking about but the but my point is the perry white pages were not like that those were pitch perfect to me um now you guys talk while i look for this stuff go ahead zach i mean i just i adored this this is my favorite issue of the week um and maybe be my favorite issue of the run i feel like i keep saying keep that saying, yeah. um it, it was up there though i like i just feel like this was extremely earned the you know the small moments in this like you mentioned the perry white moment the bit with jimmy the bit with lois and then like the the spread when he's giving a speech and and everyone is watching and kind of like cheering you have like the whole justice league like cheering him on uh, except for Di- Diana, who looks a little upset about it, uh, which is interesting. Um, which, like, to me, feels like not just the culmination of, you know, Bendis's run or Rebirth, but, like, really all of DC, like, all of Superman, essentially, I feel like is leading to this moment. Because that's kind of how Bendis frames it, in a way, um, with, like, his explanation of just kind of how his life has evolved and and everything i i it just 
it's such a simple thing to do, but it feels so <sighs> obvious. You know, it, it feel it feels so obvious and yet so big, I guess. Yeah, I mean, two thoughts that sort of go along with that. I feel like this is, uh, it's surprising that this hasn't really happened before, because it feels so logical that it would have happened before. Mm -hmm. Um, But more than that, I feel like it's also, there's a lot of interesting stories to tell about why 2019 is the right time to do this. Just in terms of like how the world views those in power, and this this sort of unmasking because he wants to be trusted. I, I think there's, there's there's an interesting conversation to be had there. But the two things I want to talk about in this issue are not sort of big picture things; they're smaller things. First of all, it's that Bendis continues to write Adam Strange really well. Which just makes me sad that Tom King's gonna be writing Adam Strange next. <laughs> He's um, kind of written like a Tom King character anyway, but better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is uh, I loved Luthor's reaction to this. That was the part that like, I, there's something about the art there that makes it seem like he sh- he should be saying something. <laughs> Oh no! And so I, I actually really enjoyed the silence there. Uh, I mean, I I do, but the I I enjoy the idea, but the way it's presented, like it's just very weird. That final panel of him staring, and then the next page where it's like half of a page and it's just his face. If he I had feel... had his shirt off and his arms crossed, it would have made more sense. <laughs> yes. Yep. No, I just think that that's. It's almost like they said, "Oh shit, we only did nineteen pages. We need a twentieth page," <laughs> and. Sure. That that's all I mean, and it felt the same way in that Legion of Superheroes issue, which makes me think that like, Pendus is accidentally writing nineteen pages. <laughs> By the way, did you guys see that Ryan Sook's already off the book as of number three? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. No, I didn't see that. Who? Remember if I did, I forgot. Who? Do you remember who the artist Very is? Very good replacement, right? I forget who it is now. Isn't it Travis Moore? Oh, it might be Travis Moore. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, that that tickles Zach. So here's my Luthor question here. Um, You know, we see him, like, devolve from Apex Lex down into regular Lex. Mm -hmm. Is this... Because this is essentially... There won't be another issue of... He lost his mojo. Yeah, there won't be another issue of Superman, I think, until the Justice League stuff, like, resolves itself. Is this just going to be how he goes back to being regular (laughs) Luthor? I think that, I think this is this is how they said it was all going to make sense, right? Crikey! Well, <laughs> it's it's Snyder's job to put all this together. Yeah. Bless him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a very good issue, and uh, again, thank you, Brian Bendis. Thank you, Brian Bendis. <laughs> Yeah, this was great. I, I actually recommended this to some people who uh, had fallen off of Superman, and I said, you know, this works as well as a, a as a one shot as anything, you know. So it's def it's definitely touching in all the right ways. Did we yeah. even talk about the Jimmy Olsen stuff very much? I, really. I mentioned it, but yeah, yeah, that oh, that stuff was so touching too. 
yeah this was this was very good um opinions may vary as to the quality of the next book we're going to talk about this is uh tales in the dark multiverse uh teen titans the judas contract written by kyle higgins and matt groom illustrated by tom rainey we get yet another tempest fuganaut crypt keeper introduction <laughs> who i was it just me i who felt like the first 10 pages of this book was just fluff like recap oh, yeah. nonsense <laughs> nothing to do with the story let's see one two three well, i guess it's just the first three but it felt like a lot uh, uh, those those fucking knots so, um, by the time this airs, uh, there will be a, an interview at multiversitycomics.com with Priest, and uh, he's going to talk a lot about Terra and uh, and the Judas Contract and uh, strap in, folks. It's a, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> but that sort of makes this an interesting week to uh, to be reading this, this issue. And I just... My overall critique of this issue is that there is nothing surprising in it whatsoever. It's like, okay, Terra realizes that she can be the most powerful creature on Earth, and so she achieves that, kills everybody, and, you know, and that's just how you roll in the Dark Multiverse. There's just, there was no, like, there were no real character beats that were interesting. The art was perfunctory with a couple of nice you know, pages thrown in there. I just felt like this was this was very much an underwhelming story in just about every regard. I can't disagree. Uh, can I say that I read this issue while also uh, like half listening to a bootleg stream of uh, Kanye's Mary Opera and boy, <laughs> the two of them together. It's it's like a so a fine wine with a well-cooked steak, let me just tell you. That's, that's the most on-brand you've ever been. Seriously. <laughs> that's incredible. Oh. oh, man. Were you also somehow playing Kingdom Hearts while this was happening? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I, he was thinking I was, about it, though. Sure. I was thinking about it. Uh, no. Were you no. wearing a Pokemon shirt? No. I was concentrating on the book that I had to read while also <laughs> half listening to Kanye's Mary opera. It, is it bizarre? Is it any good? Well, I could barely see anything because the like quality was so bad. I've heard people I've I've heard people say that it is visually interesting. I could not make anything out other than a bunch of people dressed in silver on a boat. The music was the music was good, as you would expect. Operas take a very long time to make, and he seemingly made two very quickly. Yeah, they're operas in the, like, I did not mean to derail this conversation. They're, they're okay. operas in, like, the most minimalist term. It's mostly just, like, a lot, uh, some minimal choreography, it seems. He does a narration. There are the choir you know, who is there does like redone versions of songs. It's it's basically like a hyped up Sunday service thing with a theme. 
Right, well, back to the dark multiverse. Although, Kanye doing operas. We sure we're not in the dark multiverse. Am I right? Uh, well, this is the this is the universe where Kanye is Silver Surfer. <laughs> <laughs> Keep a loopy. <laughs> We're definitely in the dark multiverse. We're in the depresso verse for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, does anyone have anything to say about this issue that I didn't already say? <laughs> What's the Teen Titans guy got to say about this? Me? Yeah. I told you it sucked. <laughs> okay. No, I, mean, I don't no. have anything else to say. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. the, the reality is that this. You know, how can I say this? The Wolfman Perez Teen Titans are a very much dated period piece. And it feels, when, when you're reading it, it, it feels like you're reading a comic from a different century, which I know you are, but, you know, it feels it just feels so old-fashioned and so, so different than what we're used to reading today. And I think that there's a certain... When you read a comic like that, once you get past the initial what the fuck is this, it's easier to sort of buy into the world and it's it's easier to buy into the characters because it's just so all-consumingly different than what's come before. This did not really evoke the tone of the Judas Contract at all. It just threw the characters and the basic sort of plot outline taking away a lot of the more interesting nuance and put the Judas Contract name on it. Yeah. Is, uh, is this the last one of these? That's a good question. I, is it? I think it's the last one that's been solicited. As I can't recall any other ones. I want to say uh, there's uh, one more, maybe. Maybe there is. I'll look it up. You talk. Do you, Do you think? I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've mentioned it before. You know, this is. We're getting a crisis next year, a, a Snyder crisis that is the the sequel to Metal. Do you, do you think we're going to get a direct Crisis on Infinite Earths homage where we have a team that is led by Tempest Fugganaut as the Harbinger with Nano Batman, Evil Lois, Sinestro, and Terra? kind of think so yeah that's a good call zaki it it just fits really well with the structure at least you know that's how it starts obviously like crisis went off in a different direction after i i can't remember who all was on that original team was it was like shazam it was all of the like people who were stranded after their universes died right yeah yeah um I, I could really see like the first couple of issues of whatever this book is being being that. Uh, I cannot find another solicited issue of this, so you might be right, Zach. Okay, I, yeah, I couldn't remember. So there's been five, right? I guess Blue Beetle would be the other, or yeah, the the Omac Beetle would be the fifth character. Yes. Yeah, which under Snyder, that would not be a bad premise. I, I think that that would actually be a really cool version. I, I would, 
I would be in to see Snyder do a direct crisis homage based on that premise. I think that it would be more interesting than these one shots have been and would actually give them a bit more purpose. So I actually kind of hope that that's what happens. Yeah, I agree. Vince, anything to add about this issue? Yeah, I just want to say one thing because I, I don't have much to say about this, but there's one sort of sequence that kind of perfectly sums up how underwhelming this issue is, and it's when it's when Tara gets hooked up to that uh, Deathstroke machine. You know, she gets zapped, looks like she's dead, and then she comes back to life. And Wintergreen, like you just see Wintergreen's face in close up, and he looks like completely and totally shocked by what he's seeing when she reemerges, you know? And then a couple pages later, you see Tara again as Gaia now. And literally all it is is like a slightly altered costume, and her hair's a little ruffled. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, from what from Wintergreen's reaction, you would think that she like looks like a total monster now. Right, yeah. <laughs> but two pages later, it's just basically Tara. And and throughout yeah, sure, she's like really powerful now. But nothing about her appearance for the rest of the issue would have suggested that Wintergreen sees some r- outrageous change in her, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of like how paint by numbers this whole thing is. That's it. Well, before we uh, pause for the second half of our show, let's do our list quickly. On the good list, we have Far Sector, Doom Patrol, Way to the Worlds, Gotham City Monsters, Hawkman, and Vunder Twins. On the okay list, we have Batman and the Outsiders, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, Justice League Odyssey, The Batman's Grave, The Flash, Supergirl, and Year of the Villain, Ocean Master. On the Hill House list, we have Dollhouse Family. On the same Man Universe list, we have House of Whispers. On the Walmart list, we have Titans Burning Rage. On the Punk Rock Jesus list, we have Batman Curse of the White Knight. Now, boys, next week is is a biggin'. I It's unbelievable. Vince, you want to take us through what's coming out next week? I, yes, I do. Aquaman. Oh, man. Okay, Aquaman, number 55. Basketful of Heads 3, Batman 85, Tom King's last Batman issue. Are we are we having a party? <laughs> I'm bringing the booze. Um, Batman, Last Night on Earth 3, uh, Batman Superman 5, uh, Catwoman 18, Doomsday Clock 12. That's the last, last issue of Dumb Clock. Um, Flash Forward 4, which is supposed to be a doozy. Um... Harleen 3, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse 2, Infected the Commissioner, so they are doing a Commissioner Gordon issue of that. How did none of us know that was happening? I don't know. I mean, those books are are what they are. Um, uh, Constantine the Hellblazer 2, Joker Killer Smile 2, Justice League 38, Last God number 3, Legion of Superheroes number 2, Lolo Woods, number one. Lucifer, 15. Metal Men, three. Nightwing, 67. Shazam, nine. Suicide Squad, one. Superman smashes the clan, two. Superman's pal, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, six. 
Teen Titans 37, Wonder Woman 83, Wonder Woman Dead Earth, number one, Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen, number one. That is a shitload of comics, you guys. There's more than five books in there that we should talk about. We're going to be talking about eight books or so, for sure. Strap in, boys. Supersized holiday episode of DC3. Yeah. Dag, yo. All right. Um, well, so we're going we're gonna to take a break here in a minute, and we come back... We're going to do something that some of you are going to hate, and we gave you a full show, so fuck off, uh, which is we're going to do a uh, a bit about some of our favorite Christmas music. All three of us enjoy Christmas music, and uh, this is the last show that will be released before Christmas Day, and so we thought we'd make a little playlist for you all to listen to with some of our favorite Christmas music, and I have, I have so many songs I want to talk about, but we're each going to talk about just five. And so uh, stay tuned for that in just a minute. Before then, though, if you have to get in hold in touch with uh, with Zach and I, we're both on Twitter. Zach, where are you? I am at Wilker Fox. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, Vince is currently listing his top 100 albums of the decade on Farmers Only. <laughs> so go to his profile there and read about a bunch of albums you never fucking heard about. Uh, City uh, folks just don't get it. Yeah, it's true. Alright, we're back with Christmas music right after this. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We are talking about our favorite Christmas songs, and uh, we're just going to kind of go around here. There's going to be some arguments, because that's what we do on these music segments, and uh, Vince has been priming me for an argument all day today, so I'm ready to, to throw it back in his fucking face in a little while. But first, Vince, why don't you start us off? What's your first song you want to throw on this, uh, this mix for us? So I'm a very... <laughs> Uh, Zach, you said that your list was kind of a shit post. I feel like half of my list is a shit post too. The first song that I have listed here is the uh, perennial SNL classic. I wish it was Christmas today by Jimmy Fallon, Tracy Morgan, Chris Kattan and Horatio Sands. Okay. That, that is one of my 12. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. <laughs> but I have the Julian Casablanca's version on my list. Oh, wonderful. Yes. So uh, I know I can't. You want to hear a little bit of that one? Sure, absolutely. All right. I just love how low effort it is and stupid. I love it. Christmas 
so stupid. Just so low effort. And the best was when they would bring it back in like March, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just for no reason. Uh, yeah, because they could. And just do the same, like hardly ever change it. And yeah, it would be like, I don't care what the calendar says. Or whatever, yeah, you know? yeah, that's about it. Yeah, but just like good-natured, silly humor. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it always puts a smile on my face. Absolutely, Zach, give us your first song. Um, see, this is tough because I have to narrow down the list, and I didn't put them in order, so I'm really just going off the cuff here. Sure, just um, say them all. You don't have to. You don't have to narrow down. Let's just. I, I don't want to. There's too many. No, there's too many. Um, And some of them I was just filling out the list. Let's see. So for my first one, let's do a a serious ish one. I really like Spotlight on Christmas by Rufus Wainwright. I'm not familiar with this song. It's really good. Um, Let's hear a little bit of it. I was going to get the lyrics pulled up here. Yeah, this is actually a cover of a song uh, by, uh, oh, I forget who did the original version. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's it's a cover of a song by, oh, I'd have to look it up really quick. Um, I should have looked this up beforehand. Um, yeah, maybe I'll find it and we can put it in the show notes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's really good. I like it a lot. Um, it has a really nice message, very, uh, pretty anti-capitalist, you know, which Christmas should be. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's one of my favorites. It is a legitimate favorite. It's not one of my shit post picks. <laughs> so to me there are sort of three categories of christmas songs there are christmas songs that are uh somewhat religious in nature there are ones that are like santa based and then there are ones that are um just sort of more about how you feel during the christmas season and uh, my list is made up of more of those last ones and uh a couple of ones that are sort of based in like you know traditional christian hymns or whatever and so the first one i want to play is really quick before you move on can i mention a lyric from this song that we didn't get to yeah uh uh, the 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 second verse um is him kind of talking about jesus mary and joseph on the run from king herod and there's a line where he says and they were each one quite odd a minch a virgin and a god uh i like that i like it a lot yeah i like that a lot that's good that's good um, which was which, though? Well, that's I'm for kidding. You, I'm the j- listener I'm... to decide. Yeah. Um, 
So the first one I'm gonna play is is the most traditional song I think is gonna make my list, depending if one of you guys pulls on my other five. Um Yeah. Uh and this is uh by our boy Sufyan. And it is his version of Oh Holy Night, which is my favorite traditional Christmas carol. Um This this song in general makes me cry whenever I listen to it. And Sufyan's version continues that trend of uh, of being, uh, you know, making me a, a blubbering mess. Um, there's, a, there's a version of this song that I actually really love that comes from a bizarre source. And you, I have a bootleg janky MP3 of it, but uh, there was an episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, <laughs> which took oh. place around Christmas time, and they had trombone shorty and like a jazz... Uh, octet maybe do a version of the song it's absolutely beautiful as well uh, the only good thing to come from Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip um, so yeah uh, that's my first pick Oh Holy Night by Sufjan Stevens so Vince what is your second pick um so <laughs> I'm gonna go with Weird Al Christmas at Ground Zero. <laughs> Excellent choice. Yeah. Um, what a crazy fluke. We're going to get nuked on <laughs> this jolly holiday. Uh, if, the, if the radiation level's okay, I'll go out with you and see all the new mutations on Christmas Day. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm not the most serious uh, guy when it comes to my Christmas carols. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard this in years. It's such a perfect parody. Yes, it is. I remember it, it, the video as a kid kind of freaking me out because uh, at the end of it, it goes negative. Uh, like uh, like how older movies would always show nuclear explosions, and the, the, the film would be flipped and be negative. This is on the, yeah, this is on the, you know, the classic Weird Al music video collection. So I, I watched it many times yep. <laughs> in my youth. Nice. What's your number two, Zach? Well. I gotta, I gotta be true to myself and my heart and my history. So uh, I have to pick uh, "Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays" by NSYNC. That, that is the song I wrote down, by the way. Zach. I, I knew, th- I knew that that would be the one that you thought that I was gonna pick. But no, I legitimately, I do like this song. Um, it is a classic to me. This is one of my wife's favorite songs. My wife. I, I, this is one of the first albums I listen to every year at Christmas time. Because it takes me back to when I was a wee lad of 10. Nine. I might have been nine when this came out. So young. Yeah, so young. Oh. Uh, but, this, but this isn't the one that you were talking about, Zach? No, oh, no, it's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> was this song by 98 Degrees? No, it wasn't, but I, that was a staple of my uh, of my youth 
Youthful Christmases was 98 Degrees' this Christmas album as well. Now, I'll save it for the end. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So my third one is um, a song that is like lyrically very straightforward of a Christmas song, but comes with kind of an odd source. It is by the uh, Memphis band Big Star. From oh, their... my gosh. <laughs> what? Nothing. I just have a lot of friends who are who are just insane big star fans. Oh. <laughs> Do you know the song Jesus Christ? Yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's a really nice Christmas song. And uh you know, I, I don't think you would necessarily think that like uh that uh that 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 uh what the fuck is his name? Alex Chilton would be like, you know, a writer of Christmas carols, but but here we go. This I think that this song could be like uh, a staple on holiday radio if if any of those stations played songs that, that explicitly mention, you know, uh, Jesus around this time of year. But I feel like the only ones that get away with it are really old songs, like no new songs that are about like, the biblical Christmas really get played on the radio. And not the song was from the 70s, but, you know, you all understand what I'm saying. Silence in the Christians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hashtag war on Christmas. <laughs> oh, Kanye will probably make a Christmas album that'll get on top 40 or something that, next year. That is very true. Oh. That is very true. <laughs> all right, Vince, what is, what is your number three? All right, I'll I'll go with the I'll go with a serious one this time. Um, it's it's one that you never hear uh, played even on like okay, so the current here in Minneapolis, um, St. Paul, uh, plays Christmas music around Christmas time. I still never hear this song, even though I feel like it's tailor made for like an alternative indie station like the current. It's the Weepies, All That I Want. Um, just a beautiful little, uh, kind of melancholy song, um, little folk tune. Um, I, it explicitly mentions Christmas, but it's not, I I don't know. It's not really known as a Christmas song, but I think of it as a Christmas song. And when Christmas comes around, I want to listen to it. It's just such, oh, it's just such a sweet tugs at my heart. It also has the sleigh bells, which is, you know, a, a staple of any Christmas. Oh, man. I haven't listened to the Weepies in so long. <laughs> I have never I've heard, heard the Weepies before right now. Oh, they're so good. They're pretty good. The rest of the South is really good, too. It's very twee, though, so you have to be... I feel like this is in the Sufjan wheelhouse, you know, so if you... Sure, yeah, I can see that. Well, I'm going to be listening to Weepies tomorrow, that's for sure. <laughs> gotcha, bitch. <laughs> Hashtag got him. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Zach. All right. So this is my third one. Um, I'm going to pick Father Christmas by the Kinks. Good, good pick, my friend. It's uh, 
it's just it's just perfect i think i think it's perfect i think it is a perfect christmas song this is the perfect one, modern christmas song this is the one christmas song that we have decided we can't like put on in the car with kids <laughs> <laughs> oh because i then don't want them to be scared that santa's gonna shoot them all no, because the first line of the song is, I used to think that, or I used to oh, no, that was, then I found that it was right. my dad. <laughs> you're right, you're right. By the way, let me, let me go on a little rant here. So Aaron and I ordered two, one like big present each for our kids online this year. And both were shipped in the boxes that the toys come in with the names clearly labeled on the outside of the box. And so luckily, they happened to arrive when kids weren't here. But it could have blown up Christmas really easily. And yeah, ruined Christmas. War on Christmas! Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so my number three. Uh, this is one for the boys on the show. Uh, my th- number three is The Spirit of Giving by the New Pornographers. Nah. That, that was on my long list. Okay. Um, again, like, not explicitly a Christmas song, but it I mean, it pretty me. much is, yeah. Do you guys know the other New Pornographers Christmas song? Yes. Joseph Who Understood? Yes, I've maybe only listened to it once. It's good. But... It's also good. It, it's a Carl Newman song, and it's a little bit more of like a straightforward. Uh, it, it's a, it's basically about Joseph doubting whether Mary's telling the truth about about the baby being uh, not his. I have something to say about that later, but ooh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, Vince, number four, give it to us. Okay, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but specifically the California Raisins version. <laughs> <laughs> are you familiar with this? No, but I, we're, we're, our listeners are going to be familiar with it in about a minute here. So, yes, uh, it's on Spotify, so you can find it. Yes, I have it right here. It sounds so good. <laughs> Those California Raisins, man, they can sing. <laughs> um. I thought you were going to pick uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reggae by Wings. <laughs> oh, no. No. It's instrumental. Uh, this is the Rudolph rap here? That's not. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think, I think the version that I was doesn't have to Oh, okay. <laughs> this is... This is not the one. Oh, oh. you sure you weren't thinking of like a different band or something? No, it's absolutely California. But it is not the version from the Playmation. This is special. Um, I want to say the 70s. There's a 1988 Christmas album, which is the one I'm looking at. Well, there, this a, slaps regardless. So. It does. This is not the, the one I'm thinking of. Is not a not a rap or not hip hop. Like, smooth, like R and B. Find me that, and we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, it's from the claymation Christmas special. Do you remember like the old claymation mm-hmm. holiday? The, yeah, the bank and rass stuff. 
Yeah. yeah. Rankin Bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it's so good. It sounds so smooth. Oh, it's from 1987, uh, the year of my birth. This is that album. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is the same. Okay, but that is not the version. Honestly, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> I'm sending you the YouTube video, so maybe you can link to this. Because you're right, that slapped, but this is so much better. Um. Uh, yeah, it's really good. And I'm not I'm not a fan of like traditional Christmas songs very much, you know. I like your your off kilter type stuff, but this is just so smooth sounding and pleasing to the ears. It's irresistible, really. All right. Um, Zach, what do you got? Okay. Um, so from the years, I think. I think it was 2005 to 2014. Every year, the Killers would release a Christmas song with the proceeds going to charity. And they, they did it, yeah, it was 10 years. Um, and I listened to those all the time, but I just picked one for this. And the one that I picked is uh, called Joseph Better You Than Me, uh, featuring Elton John and Neil Tennant. I don't think this is on spotify because they were for charity um so i don't think they ever released them in any kind of streaming capacity but it's very good and it's kind of all along the same lines of the the new pornographer song that you mentioned um there's a great line um in the song that is uh it's it's someone singing to Joseph, basically just kind of commiserating with him about his his fate here, and and he says uh, he's talking about him being a car- a carpenter, and he says you're a maker, you're a creator, you're not just somebody's dad. Okay, I like that. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's a goofy song. Um, Elton John hams it up really big, but. It, it it's probably my favorite of all of the songs that they did, and you know I'm a big Killers Mark, so yes. You you just said Elton John Hams. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Elton John Hams John Hams. Yeah. <laughs> Elton John Ham and, bu- and Bubbly. <laughs> oh, I got a story about a bubbly uh, Christmas song before before this is all through. Okay. It's- it's not going to make my list, but we got to talk about it. So I, I'm purposely holding four songs back from my list because they're part of the four best Christmas albums of all time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about those later. But so um, I'm rearranging my list as I realize that I don't want to split those those like uh, those things up here. Uh, let's see. That okay. I'll do a a, a very sort of traditional uh, holiday classic. In, I think a lot of our houses, we talked about claymation a minute ago. Uh, I'm going to spotlight Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives. Uh, one of the best Christmas songs to come out of those animated specials from the 60s. And uh, I love Burl Ives' voice. And he plays uh, the snowman in Throughout the of Reindeer. And it's, uh, it's a classic. I've been watching it a few times every Christmas season. And it's a song that my kids love as well. So. And it's probably the only like Santa song. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And, and uh, that's my number four. So Vince, 
What is your final official pick? We'll do honorable mentions afterwards. Uh, okay. But, but so, what is your final spotlighted song? Oh, I'm gonna go with. Uh, God, I hope I don't steal anyone's here, but I'm gonna go with "Christmas Unicorn" by. Yeah, you got me. That was my. That was my one. That was my one. I'm sorry, man. I've like, got a replacement. I've got a replacement. Can we share the one though? Because like, no, it, to, don't worry. to me. To me, this is the only song I need to hear around Christmas time. I it have is the to only that. Christmas song. It is it the is. only Christmas song. It's the best that Sufjan can be. It's 13 minutes long, of course. It 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 it, it sucks in "Love Will Tear Us Apart" by Joy Division like halfway through. It's uh, it's awesome. Um, not halfway through, more towards the end, but. <laughs> oh, it's so good it's so good it's perfect it's it's brilliant you don't need any other christmas songs throw them all out forget anything else we said i don't i don't agree with that <laughs> this is this is legitimately in the top 10 songs Sufians has ever made like yes yeah it's i have to revisit it i don't really like the silver and gold collection as much as i like the other christmas collection i mean it's, it's good but i listen to the other one way more so I'm not as familiar with all the songs on this one. I've, I've listened to Silver and Gold much more than the original since it came out. This is this is just like, uh, you know, What If Impossible Soul were a Christmas song. It is. That's 100% what it is. Yeah. Uh, two, two fun facts about this song. When Maddie and I first moved to Lexington and were really homesick, we would drive around in the middle of the summer and listen to this song and uh that same christmas i made a uh, christmas card for her where i drew a christmas unicorn with all of his accoutrements um you are so adorable i love i love this song it's so good you're Um, the best of us you really are the best um, of us can we talk do you want to talk more about how good it is vince nah i'll let you go well, I don't. I, I, I mean, I just love it. I, I, I won't pick it for mine since you did, but because that, that frees me up to pick the other great silver and gold song, uh, which is "Christmas in the Room." Talk about it. It's just super sad, but like beautiful. Again, like honestly. Uh, probably in like my top 10 favorite Sufian songs just because of how beautiful it is I kind of feel like interestingly like coming back to our Sufian conversation this song kind of bridges the gap between Age of Odds and Carrie and Lowell yeah yeah again I really have to revisit Silver and Gold I'll do that this week yeah this is the like Christmas Unicorn will make me cry for different reasons. This song makes me cry just because of how, like, haunting it is. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get to the chorus, but we don't have to go all the way. But listeners should check it out. Yeah, well, we're going to put a link to the Spotify playlist. And I might also, if all the songs are on YouTube, I might just make a YouTube playlist. So that way we can get Vince's California Raisins and maybe that killer song as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is on YouTube. So maybe I'll try and do it with YouTube. Um, so the last one is the song that Vince and I have been fighting about all day today, and uh, it is "Fairy Tale of New York" by the Pogues. Now, Vince on Farmers <clears throat> Only. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be nice. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm, 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 I, let me finish here. 
On Farmers Only Today, Vince told me this was the Tom King of Christmas songs. <laughs> he did say that. I'm also on Farmers Only and saw it. That's so true. Though. No, it's not. No, oh, it's, it's so... not. Yeah. Okay, first of all, first of all, let's, <laughs> let's just unpack this for a second, okay? <laughs> this song is is a really masterfully oh. written thing. There are three <laughs> distinct stories that happen in this song. <laughs> this is a Tom King it's song. It's not a Tom King song. Fuck <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds Always like it. forever. It's funny because I've actually never listened to it, I don't think. It's, so it's the well, it's horrible, Zach. Um it's but the it's the best Christmas it, song. It's the Bane story uh and the Thomas Wayne story and the cat woman story. It's Tom <laughs> King. It's not at all. So far, you're batting a thousand, my friend. No, it begins with a guy who's in jail for the night, and it's Christmas Eve, and he's he's depressed, and he thinks back to this wonderful Christmas that he had with the woman he loves in New York, and then the song devolves into a fight between them, and it ends on this like very uh, open-ended note. You don't know if if you know if he gets out. I mean, he's he's in the drunk tank. He's not like in prison. But you don't know if he ever finds her again. You don't know. It's just it's a very open ended song. But I think so. It's each... a lot like Mister Miracle. Oh god damn it! Is he no. kite man? He's not kite man. Um, you forgot the part where she uh, hurls a homophobic slur at him after he calls her an old slut on junk. The, they again they 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 get into this very sort of raucous fight in the middle of the song. And, uh, you know, look, I am not condoning that language. And when, when both Christy McCall and the Pogues performed it live after, they changed that lyric. That is not what they perform live anymore. It's, That's great. Uh, you're uh, something a maggot, something a haggard they throw out there. You know, and, and look, I'm not defending it at all. I'm not. Uh, you have probably 25 songs in your top one, 25 albums on your top 100 uh, albums listings that has this word or similarly bad words in those records. <laughs> so you cannot get on your high horse and say that this is bad and all those other things are good because... That's that's absolutely not true, but okay. It's not true? Let's see. No. You don't have 25 hip-hop albums that have... that have... Uh, no, I don't. That have slurs of some kind on them? Mm, probably not. Not 25. 23. <laughs> two, or, two or three? I think you probably have a little more than that, but that would be my guess. Uh, I'll, I'll go through and listen to all of Vince's albums and count all the slurs <laughs> and then no, but what, what I'm saying I'll is deliberate. That... That's not even the point. That's well, I, look, I don't I don't I'm not going to shit on your pick. I don't want to I don't want to do that. But since you brought it up, I just the the whole thing is just so maudlin to me that. Uh, and see, I hear it as hopeful. Yeah. But, you know. Let me break the tension by telling you guys a story <laughs> about a young boy who got a Christmas compilation album <laughs> in the early 2000s. Uh, the Christmas compilation is called Platinum Christmas, and it's one of the best Christmas compilations that was, has ever been crafted, ever made. Impeccable taste. Amazing, amazing compilation. In this compilation is a song by Dave Matthews Band <laughs> called Christmas Song. And I became obsessed with this song. And to this day listen to it annually 
it describes in vivid language the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that is my song. I, I, I am familiar with this song as I went to high school in the 90s with white people. <laughs> so this was played an awful lot this time of year uh, around the halls of Creskills Junior Senior High School. So I am, I am well aware of this shitty song. Uh, no, it's bad. Uh, it's kind of Sufjan-esque. It, 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 it has some flourishes, yeah. Um, the one thing I did want to do, I, I am mad at myself because... I, we we have this new technology where we can play songs on the air, and the reason I wanted to do it was I wanted to begin with this, which I did not know existed until today, and made me blurt laugh. I was listening to a podcast that featured this in the supermarket, and I was about to check out and like blurt laughed because it was uh, the podcast I was listening to. So um, I, I got to pump the volume up and start this. So I, was, I wanted to start this segment. So you guys ready for this? Here it comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is Twisted Sister doing O Come Be Faithful with the beat of We're Not Gonna Take It Underneath it. I've I've heard this before. I love it. It's good. Alright, so let's let's do some honorable mentions here. Um Zach, aside from Dave Matthews Band, who else did you want to shout out? Uh, let's see here. Let me get my list pulled back up. Um, uh, Everything is One Big Christmas Tree by Magnetic Fields is a Excellent classic. Choice, yes. Um, do you want to just go around or you just want me to throw some out there? Just throw some out there. Uh uh let's see um one other sufian song that is actually from the first set of uh record the first album is uh i saw three ships i'm a big fan of his i saw three ships um let's see um mm -mm. uh paul mccartney's uh wonderful christmas time wonderful christmas time yeah um and then and then really just the entire platinum christmas compilation album you should throw that in the whole thing in the spotify playlist because it's just bob after bob after bob tlc sleigh ride Mm. italian chef kiss vince uh well i want to talk about wonderful christmas time for a second because I, I wouldn't have that song on my favorite uh, Christmas songs list, but I love the thing I love imagining is the second half of the song where it's more instrumental and he's hitting the, he's doing like the very slow, like almost arpeggio where he's like going up. Yeah. I, I just picture of just a stoned as fuck McCartney. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Just like, do, 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 do. His eyes are as red as the lights on the tree. Yes, absolutely. He is lit. Um, Yeah, so I do appreciate that. Um, Okay. Uh, Darlene loves Christmas, baby. 
please come home. I'll, I'll but, talk about that in my mind too. Yeah, it's great. But only if she's singing it to David Letterman. <laughs> That's a key component. He what, has to be sitting there. What about her Christmas time for the Jews from the SNL uh, digital short? <laughs> yes. That digital short, the TV Funhouse, sorry. Did she actually sing that? Yes, that's her. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes, that's great. Uh, speaking of Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. <laughs> um, just, you know, is my guitar in tune? If so, I can play that song. <laughs> One and two, maybe, maybe not three. Three is not so great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Arthur Fonzarelli. Um, <laughs> yes, Bowser. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie's 12 Days of Christmas. Yep. A beer. But, yeah, and a beer. <laughs> uh, yeah, just hilarious. Um, <clears throat> Shonen Knife, Space Christmas. Ooh. You know that one? Yeah, I do. That's a good song, my friend. That's a good song. Very punky. Yeah, just, just a joy. And then... My last one, Bob Dylan's version of Must Be Santa. Yes, that's on my list, too. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, oh, I love Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fant- yeah. I got I had that stuck in my head all day today, thinking about it. My son it's, sang that at his Christmas concert. It's not the Dylan version, but not the Dylan his version. school did that song, and I was hooting and hollering. Yeah. <laughs> The um, video is great for that, too. Po- never, possibly the last great thing Bob Dylan will do in his I, life. I've never seen the video. I'll have to look it up later. Um, all right, so uh, there's there's uh, two songs I wanted to talk about before going into my albums. Uh, one of them, I would have this song would have made my list if the songwriter and singer were not recently canceled. Um, but <laughs> when Ryan Adams was in his band Whiskey Town, there's a song called Houses on the Hill that is tangentially a Christmas song. Uh, basically he's, he's in his girlfriend's parents' house and he goes up to the, uh, attic to get a box labeled tinsel and lights. And in it, he finds letters from his grandmother's lover who died in the war. It's super fucking sad, but it's beautiful. Um, but he's canceled. So don't do that. Uh, there was a short lived band called the thorns that was Matthew sweet and some other sort of folky guys. They do a really beautiful silent night. And then uh, the band Low has a good Christmas album, but specifically their Little Drummer Boy on that is great. But there are four unimpeachable Christmas records out there that everyone should listen to. The first is the Vince Guaraldi Trio soundtrack to A Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, Classic so and beautiful. Good. Makes me cry in the best possible way. The second is John Fahey, the, the guitarist, the late guitarist. Uh, his album is called The New Possibility. It's all acoustic christmas uh songs on just like an open openly tuned acoustic guitar it's just beautiful stuff um philadelphia sort of uh pub rockers marah have an amazing christmas album called uh a christmas kind of town it was recorded in the i think the late 90s or early 2000s and it has a mix of originals and covers and it's really good it's like it's very soulful and fun and it's just great and the last one is, uh, again, somebody who has been canceled, but we've already talked about it. Uh, the Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You, which has Darlene Love's Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, The Ronettes, um, Frosty the Snowman, which was used in Goodfellas to great effect, uh, and uh, Marshmallow World, and just a lot of sort of those like, you know, early 60s girl group Christmas songs that are just amazing. So those are four, like, those are the four. Christmas albums that are essential in my house. Um, I love Christmas music, but I love, I love my Christmas music. 
<laughs> like I hate being in some place where they're playing the radio's Christmas music, like the the typical like every seems like every market has the station that after Thanksgiving becomes a Christmas music station. Oh, and they just play oh, the same three songs over and over again. Yeah, and one of those is a song I forgot to mention, uh, Taylor Swift's last Christmas cover. Mm. I'm not familiar with that cover. How are you not? It only plays a million times every year, at least on my Christmas stations, uh, I feel like. The one that I think is very overplayed but is a great song, it's, it's a bopper, is uh, Mariah Carey's um, All I Want for Christmas oh. is You. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that was like an, an under, you know, silent but understood, yes. um, an unspoken <laughs> rule, you know, yeah. like no one has to mention that because that is the preeminent Christmas song Yeah, after and, after Christmas Unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> and after, yes. And if we're talking just like well-intentioned but horribly offensive Christmas songs, do they know it's Christmas? Oh, <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Zach, just imagine Mariah Carey's Christmas Unicorn. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. You know, I found I found a nuts mashup of Mariah Carey's Christmas with Welcome to the Black Parade. Oh, wow. And it, it, it works. was everything. It works. <laughs> uh, speaking of canceled Christmas tunes and whatnot... <laughs> Uh, baby, it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. I, I like that song. You know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, we, can, you know, obvious, obviously, depending on the tone that's taken with it, it's it can be ill intentioned, right? Mm-hmm. I I like to think that a lot of the takes on it are like uh, playful rather than you know. Well, so I, as, I have thoughts on this with sung by. As long as it's sung by Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, context matters, right? But the reason I bring it up is because our friend, Mr. Michael Bublé, to, to, to circle back on that, he has a newer version of the of that song with uh, Adina Menzel, Adele Dazeem to some. Yep. <laughs> um, I just heard it on the radio when we were picking up our tree the other day. And I kind of couldn't believe it because you know how a lot of, uh, I think it was uh, John Legend wrote like a version of it that cleans it up a bit. Oh, no, mm-hmm. it, it, that's the fucking funniest thing you've ever heard. I'm going to read from that in a minute. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. It okay. is funny. Cause, yeah. Because all I saw was the headline. I didn't listen to it or any, or, or read it or anything. But, but this Buble Menzel version is hilarious because at a certain point, like they, they do a little bit of like, uh, witty repartee you know like just talking and she says something like say you're a little bit you're you're a little persistent fella and michael buble says i like to think of it as opportunistic and i I thought like in the car i'm like what is that michael buble like everyone else is everyone else is running away from this thing and he made it sound creepier than I've heard it in years. So first of all, I, I just I just want to say uh, I feel like this is a take that might get me canceled. Um, but like there have been a lot of articles that have been written about the original intent of the song is that she wants to stay and he's trying to provide her with excuses. So when people say to her, well, why did you stay over there? He's giving her the reasons why. That that it's not meant to be him trying to get her to stay. It's that she wants to, and he's that's sort of the, apparently the songwriter's intent was that. Sure. That he's trying to make cover for her. Regardless, 
uh, the John Legend version is so fucking funny. I'm just gonna. <laughs> so um, he says, uh, sorry, she says, uh, "What will my friends think?" And he says, "I think they should rejoice." If I have one more drink, it's your body and your choice. He fucking <laughs> says that in the song. <laughs> See, I, I got really confused when everybody started making a big deal about that version because there was another version that came out a few years ago called called Baby It's Cold Outside Consent Version. Um, it's by somebody uh, it's by Lydia Liza and Josiah Lemansky Frank Lemansky's older brother (laughs) Um, and and it's it's really just like those aren't the names of missionaries I don't know what are it's it's uh the 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 female part is exactly the same throughout the whole song I think um but the male part is just like agreeing with everything she says like it's, yep, i really correct. can't stay baby i'm fine with that i have gotta go away i'm cool with that uh uh there's a, there's a great bit it's what is this drink pomegranate Lacroix. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> um, uh yeah so i i got really confused when everybody started talking about the john legend version because i was like oh this has already been done but yeah. uh, what was your but, version? Not not you. Like your your stage name isn't Josiah. What's his fuck? But like, no, is no. that version supposed to be funny? Um, I mean, I I guess so. Like the I think the Lacroix line is like hilarious and it's like lameness. But uh, I I don't I don't really know what the intention is supposed to be. Um, other than it is not supposed to be skeevy. It sounds like a. It very much sounds like an NPR joke. Yes. Skit. It's of, an Andy about... Barowitz New Yorker article yeah. come to life. Oh God! Ah! Here, here, here's an NPR article from 2016. Uh, one more time with consent, baby. It's cold outside. Gets an update. Um, yeah. So not not too old. Pretty recent. They're from Minneapolis. Ah. There you go. It's Vince's stage name. I was mistaken. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is pretty nice, though. They uh, they donated the proceeds of the song to the Sexual Violence Center of Minnesota. That is nice, yeah. Good for them. Yeah, and I, you know, I certainly think people's um, concerns, potential concerns about that song, are, are valid, you know. But I, I do think, I do think a lot of, I think you can sing a version of that song, and I think it's been done plenty, where it's clearly like a. a a playful, witty back and forth, rather than a than a creepy. Uh, ra- rather than the Michael Bublé, like I'm, I'm being opportunistic. Yeah. <laughs> like, Just like, trying heard, to fuck you while you sleep. Ex- <laughs> I, I heard that, and I was like, I was like, okay. Decided, he decided to crash the car right into everybody's problem. Yeah. Oh, bubbles. <laughs> Uh, any other sort of uh, songs you want to mention? Oh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Um, some of those other killer songs are great. Uh, there's a song called Don't Shoot Me Santa Claus, which is really fun. Um, yeah, those, those are all those are all pretty good. I'll shout out. It, it is not the Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire Christmas song, but there is a Weezer Christmas song called The Christmas Song. It's actually a very melancholy song. Uh, it was the last thing they recorded before, uh, like taking a couple bad. years off. Well, yeah, essentially. 
Uh, it's it's in between Pinkerton and the Green Album. Okay. So, yeah. so man, we bad. could do a whole episode about like that era where like every punk band had like a Christmas bonus track. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that was a thing. That was um, a thing. It was a thing. Fall Out Boy had one. It was a thing. Um, Panic at the Disco had one. It's called High Hopes. Um, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is. Uh, High Hopes is a Christmas Santa. movie. Yep. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, never mind. Um, uh, the Bright Eyes Christmas album is pretty good, if you're into that. Uh, Connor Oberst does a very interesting Blue Christmas. It's very, it's very interesting coming out of his... Uh, voice rather than Elvis's, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it works. Um, yeah, what uh, the other uh, Weird Al Christmas song, which is inferior to Christmas at Ground Zero, the day Santa um, went crazy, or the night yeah, Santa went crazy, the night the, Santa went yeah. crazy, yeah, the night Chris Kringle went nuts, yeah. Now I you can't go down is, to the North Pole uh, without stepping in reindeer guts. <laughs> that is definitely the inferior of the two. Yeah, um, it's not as good of a parody as as Christmas at Grounds. Right, is, right. You know? Yeah. <sighs> um, I think I'm tapped. Yeah. Me too. I, I have I have about twenty five more I can talk about, but I'll, uh, I'll leave. <laughs> well, it you're you're a pervert. So. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Just yanking your chain, buddy. Yep. Now who's the pervert, huh? Uh, one more author out there, River by Joni Mitchell. I've never been a never been a pervert. Yeah. What was that by Joni? Never, never been a horny me. <laughs> no, there's, never shall I horny be. Yeah. Uh, River by Joni Mitchell. Oh, I'm sure I know that, but I'm I'm not. It's great. Pulling it. It's great. Um, yeah, there 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 are a lot of those Christmas songs that I feel like. Would be perfect to play on the radio, but instead we get Last Christmas the 400th time. Which, that's a jam, too. Though. Oh, I, I have no problem with Last Christmas, but just, you know, there are lots of other songs that could be playing. Yeah. You know, in addition to Last Christmas. Indeed. Yeah, so. and you don't need you don't need Wham's Last Christmas and then, like, you know, I don't, Taylor Swift's or whoever's. You know, you, right. you'll hear... We've got a Christmas station here. You'll hear last. You'll hear last Christmas, or um, yeah, you'll hear last Christmas by like twenty different artists if you listen to it all day. Agreed. Um, yeah. Uh, one more that I want to shout out that I feel like I'm hearing a lot more this year on the Christmas station, but I don't. I didn't hear a lot in the past, and I love it. Is uh, Elton John's "Step Into Christmas"? Mm. Do you know that song? I do. Yeah. Our the. Yeah, our station plays it a lot. Yeah, it's it, it's good. It's it's not one of the more overplayed of the Christmas songs, so I appreciate it for that reason. Mm, what's your least favorite Christmas song? Ooh. Um, I am not a fan of Christmas rapping by the waitresses. I don't know if I know that one. Yes, you do. Um, hang on. I'm realizing now I can I can play these songs for you guys. This is good. Yeah. I feel I'm like not you're... a I'm not a Santa baby. Oh, I hate that song too. Yeah. Nah, no. Um, Santa shouldn't be horny. 
Well, maybe sometimes, but <laughs> um, I want a hippopotamus. Oh, for terrible, terrible! Just great, degrading. Yeah. Fizz, do you recognize this yet? Um, what, what, when it kicks in in a second, you will. Oh yes, I do. Yep, 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 yep. I do. Yes. It, it's the current, bad. The current Bob planes. Of course they do. Yeah. It's bad when your band's better of the two songs that you're known for is I Know What Boys Like, which is the story of Waitresses. So, Hey, uh, you know what You know what else is a trash tune? What's that? That's very on brand for all of us, though. What's that? Uh, Merry Christmas R2-D2. Yes, you, that is. Do you know that one? Yes, I do. The disco one? Yeah. Well, is it disco? Because <laughs> the, there, there was a Star Wars disco album. Yeah, but can it be classified as disco? I mean, I guess kind of, but it's Space more like disco. <laughs> I don't know. Zach, do you know "Merry Christmas" R two D two? No, I don't. We love I don't you. Think, I don't think it's on Spotify, but let's see. It's I, like I doubt it. It features a bunch of kids singing "Merry Christmas" R two D two. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas R two D two. It's true. It's terrible. Is this it's it? really bad. So, let's see if this. Um, there it is. That's it, right? I think so. I think this is somebody <laughs> covering it. Oh my gosh. Okay, this reminds me of... This just did jog my memory. Um, there is this band that we used to listen to in college a lot that was like a Harry Potter parody band. Oh no! Called called Harry and the Potters. I'm familiar with Harry and the Potters, unfortunately. My they niece have is really a song them. called Wizard's Chess that is actually a pretty decent Christmas song. Oh, Zach, don't take this the wrong way. Every time we talk about college, I feel I just I'm more and more glad we didn't go to college together. Well, this is a this is a don't you can't put this one all on me. This is a Maddie's family thing. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't blame you, Zach. I blame our. Uh, I blame uh, society. Our, all, yes, our misspent youths. We all yeah, made I'm mistakes. Sorry, you guys couldn't have gone down in the shower with me. Yeah. I would have invited. <laughs> you. Done what? <laughs> I wasn't sure if shower time ever got brought up on the show proper, but uh, here we fucking are. <laughs> It's perfectly normal. You guys are the ones who make a big deal about it. Would you care to tell our listeners what shower time was? <laughs> we had community showers. I don't know like what there is to say. No, 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 that that is not that was a little more. Yeah, yeah there, there's there's, there's more meat on this bone than you're uh, glitting on. <laughs> I don't. Sometimes we would get bored and we would throw parties in the showers. I don't think there's anything weird with that. Yeah, we had a curfew. No, that's. No, I'm not. How are those yeah. two things related? Again, I don't think you're really fully explaining it, but that's fine. We don't have to do that. Um, uh, oh. Christmas Shoes by New Songs. Oh, terrible that's, song. That's a terrible song. But it's almost worth it to listen to the Patton Oswalt bit about yes, it. Yes, agreed. agreed. Yeah. You have, you, have to, you have to pair it with that. Like you pair a wine, a wine and cheese together. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yep. Indeed. Oh, man. I think that well, just about is... does it for me. Yeah, this was a good show. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, sorry, people who are going to be bitter about this. 
They're so not. Sorry. Just turned it off. Yeah. Everyone who's saying. made it this far has a big smile on their face. Yeah. No, they're all perverts. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> well, you'll hear from us on Christmas Day talking about the biggest pervert of them all, Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> See you later, guys. No clothes on that guy ever. Hi, it's Peter Frampton has joined us. You're supposed to say, do you feel like I do? Okay, I think you're hitting the brown note because I have to go to the bathroom again. Tell me if you hear me today. I will try and play some music that you want to hear through Skype, okay? I don't think this is actually Brian. I think we've been. <laughs> <laughs> this is Drill from uh, Truth Point. <laughs> he finally found you. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> this is okay. weird. Okay, this is too yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you took this a step too far there, Brian. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You sound like you're you're selling like you're eating a plate of mascarpone. You've got to stop this right now, or I'm hanging up, and I'm not doing this podcast tonight. <laughs> Wait, I think this isn't a joke. I think this is real. <laughs> Darth Vader is fucking choking on something. <laughs> I can't believe you think I can't believe this isn't real. Oh, Vince, are you recording this at all? Oh, oh God, it'd be so good. This is such a great singer. Science recording it, and at least you can get our incredulous reactions. <laughs> You sound like Papa John with all of the multiple uh, enhancements turned up. Hey, say you ate 40 pizzas in the last 30 days. I ate 40 pizzas in the last 30 days. Oh, no. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>